Welcome back to another episode of Backlash Podcast. Today we have a guest, as we do almost every week, actually. I don't think it's been a while since but we haven't had a guest. I don't exactly know how long it's been, and I'm not going to guess because every time we go about guessing things, we fail. So anyways, our guest today is Andrew Ragus, Northwoods Bass Fishing Adventures. Yeah, I said it, bass. Not something we talk about either on this podcast, but... We're going to talk a little bit about the correlation of bass fishing and musky fishing. And Andrew was, uh, he was, at one point, he was a younger angler. He's still younger than me, so he's still young. But he's not as young as he once was when he had an, uh, aspirations to be in the fishing industry. And so we're going to talk about the business side of it, too, a little bit. You know, there's a ton of people that, that reach out to me you know, via social media and they're always wanting them, you know, wanting us to sponsor them or, you know, figure out how to get a start in the industry. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that. It's not going to be the whole episode, but we're going to talk about that. And then we're going to talk about, uh, you know, a couple of big fish that he caught to finish off the episode. And so that's sort of what's up. And uh, I'm sure Brad, you know, my co-host here is Brad Hoppy with Musky Mayhem Tackle. I'm guessing, Brad, you probably got some fishing report, I guess I would say, because you've spent a little time on the water where, if anybody cares, it's like noon on a Tuesday, and we have literally like 14 hours or 17 hours to turn this episode around. So uh, the information is very up-to-date. Now, Brad, how was the Minnesota Musky opener? Well, we went out and started the uh, season off by trolling pretty much unsuccessful it was pretty interesting i i think i know i marked one muskie out deep and possibly two more that were like a 50 50 on whether or not they were on my si so you know it was a it was a long day a ton of struggle it was super super hot i definitely checked out a bunch of the different bases on the lake i chose to fish on and we struggled so the next day we changed things up and we did some casting and ended up with uh, two of my buddies that are on our pro staff. They were up here for the opener with us, and they both got their personal best fish. And so that was a pretty special day. But again, it was pretty strange. I know we played with quite a few fish with follows and what have you, and it seems like they're just not quite ready to really, really take off and go crazy. We're in the new muskie season, and of course, every time that you get into it, there's a learning curve. You know, you're relearning what the fish want, what they're wanting to do, but uh, we got the job done on Sunday. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's good that you guys got the job done. It's, um, you know, it's good to hear. So one thing, Brad, I want to talk about is uh, water temperature. It's obviously been a topic amongst things I've seen on social media as far as, you know, the hot temperatures that we've had. What are you seeing for water temperatures over there in Minnesota? Well, it's, it's kind of all over the planet, depending on the size of body water that you're on. But uh, they're right around 72 degrees on the surface, um, 74, I guess I've seen. And we've, we're dealing with a ton of big wind the last three days. I mean, it's just been super windy, Jeff. And this heat is out of this world. I mean, we're looking in the 90s, and it's not very fun that way, that's for sure. It makes for long days when you're sitting in a boat with that kind of heat, especially when you're doing the trolling thing and you're kind of tucked down into the boat. So the wind definitely was helping. So depending on which direction that wind is blowing, uh, you might see a little bit warmer than that 72 to 74. It's kind of extreme for this time of the year. And one of the things that I think Matt Seifert was also here this past weekend, he did the casting thing on Saturday, had some follows, he chose to go to a smaller body of water. And the thing about that was, I think he's seen 76 degrees 
And Matt and I started talking about this whole thing about the open water. You know, everybody's excited that the season should be kind of a little bit warmer. Things should be going a little bit better. But honestly, we started kind of communicating about when these fish go out to the open water. And we're kind of wondering if it isn't more of a calendar time versus more of a water temp time. And so it'll be interesting to see kind of what's taking place. Definitely uh, yesterday spent some time out in the open water and we did see some fish starting to make their way out. We did see some bug hatches, so it's going to come together. But generally speaking, in my neck of the woods, the 12th to the 14th somewhere, that's when I normally start my my trolling trips. And calendar-wise, it only improves until about the 1st of July. So I, I see it's going to happen. And don't get me wrong, we've caught fish right away in the beginning of the season, you know, day one of the season, catch a bunch, you know, doing the open water stuff. But uh, definitely starting to consider that it could be based off of calendar more so than water temps. That's a cool observation. We'll have to uh, we'll have to see how that goes plays out over the course of the next month. You know, obviously, you know, water temperatures are something that are concerned. But you know, I think what people fail to realize is that just a week ago it was you know whatever twenty seven degrees overnight on a Friday, and none of these thermoclines have developed. So as long as you continue to get that big wind to keep turning the water, you know, keep turning the water over. And it should keep the water temperatures at least in that, you know, safe to fish range for a little while, I would assume. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, we're one big rain away from cooling that surface down. You know, that that's something that you have to think about as well. We, over here where I'm at, we have not had rain in, I think it's been two months. I mean, we've had a couple little drips here and there. But honestly, we're in like a drought. I mean, my yard... I think I mowed it the last time uh, a week and a half ago, and it's pretty much going brown on me right now, which is a good thing. That means I don't have to spend any time on the lawnmower. That's right. But, uh, but you know, the, the crazy part is, is this is not normal. Uh, here in Minnesota, generally June is our wettest month. And so I'm going to guess that it's probably going to start happening at some point. But uh, so far, it's pretty ugly around here. Yeah, I think it's that way all across the Midwest. but. I'm not exactly 100% sure on that. It's been fairly dry over here, well, mostly. But, um, you know, for, uh, I guess, hopefully, uh, you know, you guys continue to find some success on the on the water. And, you know, obviously, we'll, we'll hear from you every single week. So we'll continue to get some, you know, Minnesota musky updates. You know, one of these days, I'll get out fishing and I'll join in the uh, conversation. I know next week, I'm for sure getting out if I don't this weekend. Well, you got to put the, make some time, Jeff. I know you're busy, but you know what? This fishing is important and you need to be able to escape. And I think, I I think that's one of the biggest reasons why you probably still enjoy fishing. Yeah, it is. Well, not to make excuses, but opening weekend, I had planned to fish. And then I don't know, for whatever reason I didn't the first day and I had planned to spend a bunch of time on the water the second day. And then we were getting ready to go and my parents showed up. And so Brad, you know, you know, situation with my dad, he's, my dad isn't, in the greatest of health. And so I don't, you know, in the, in, it was my best interest to stick around and have some family time with mom and dad and the kids. So I did that. And then the next day we had a, a deal with Alexis on Memorial day. She had to be back early. So no fishing for that weekend. And last weekend, they, the kids, they voted and they wanted the pontoon boat in the water more than they wanted the fishing boat up North. So uh, pontoon and swimming won out. And I can tell you based on their reaction when they jumped in the water that if the surface temperature was warm, everything else below was freezing because I think my daughter just about lost her voice when she jumped in the water and came back up. So 
um, you know, things are moving along, but it's not, it's not as warm as what everybody thinks it is. So that's, those are my two excuses, Brad. Hopefully in the next, uh, seven days, I'll have at least two days for sure on the water. Yeah. I know how it works, Jeff, but family first, right? Yeah. So, always. The muskies, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we're 10, 11, 12 days in the muskie season or whatever for Northern Wisconsin, the muskies will still be there until November, December 30th or until things ice up. So, you know, one, one thing at a time. And unfortunately we've been busy and speaking of busy, if people are looking to get gear for their next musky fishing adventures, check out teamrhinooutdoors.com. You know, we're your source for pretty much everything in the musky world. Recently we, uh, we just got some stuff from musky mayhem tackle, we added a new color in the trigger and the detonator, uh, Todd's copper carp. That's pretty cool. We also have some white bladed rabbit squirrels that we got. I don't know that anybody has white blades on rabbit squirrels. So that's cool also. And if you're looking for Boss Shad lures, we now have wood models in the eight inch minnows, the seven inch minnows or shads deep and shallow. Crime bosses are wood now and the four and a half inches are wood now too. And that stuff all just recently came available online yesterday. So if you're checking out gear or you need gear on top of the stuff I mentioned, we have tons and tons of stuff. Check out www.teamrhinooutdoors.com. And if you're looking for the original big bladed flashaboo bucktail musky mayhem tackle and Brad, why don't you talk a little bit about musky mayhem tackle? Yeah, you kind of hit it on the head. We were the original big bladed flashaboo bait as well as small bladed, you know, we, we say the big blades because we were really known for the cowgirl and the supermodel and kind of changed the rules on all inline spinners, if you will. So you can check us out on our YouTube channel as well as, um, Instagram and Facebook. Otherwise check us out at muskymayhemtackle.com. Love to hear your stories. Uh, like to see your pictures of fish that you're catching on our products. We appreciate all of, all of our customers. Yes, sir. Appreciate our customers. That's something we talk about all the time. We appreciate our customers. Anybody who decides to shop with both of us, as per usual, we appreciate everybody who dials up this podcast every week. We, uh, If we didn't have the great listeners and the great guests, it'd just be me and Brad talking stupid, and we can do that without, uh, without recording anything. So anyways, Brad, unless you have something to add to this episode, let's go get uh, Andrew Ragus on the phone, and uh, let's talk about some bass and some muskies. Absolutely. Let's get it done. All right. Our guest this time is Andrew Ragus, Northwoods Bass Fishing Adventures. Kind of strange for us to have a bass guy on. We're looking to draw the correlation between some bass fishing and some musky fishing. We're also looking, Andrew has had the uh, passion to be a, uh, we'll call him professional angler or making a living within the fishing industry for quite some time. And so we want to talk about some of that too. You know, it's, um, it's been a long, it's been a long road and it's, I'm sure we had some successes and some failures. And so we're going to talk to him about that kind of, there's a lot of people who have aspirations to make a living in the fishing industry. And Andrew can kind of talk a little bit about some of the struggles. We talk about it, Brad and I do once in a while, but, um, we have a guest here that's, you know, literally came up the ladder to try to make it. And now he's making a living within the fishing industry. So Andrew, thanks a lot for coming out today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Brad. So, Andrew, first time on the podcast, we always have the guests kind of get a background on them, talk about themselves a little bit, talk about what they're up to, just so our listeners kind of have an idea, you know, who they're talking or who they're listening to. So if you could, why don't you talk a little bit about your, your you know, what you're doing right now, and then we'll uh, we'll dive into you know, kind of what got you to now. 
name's Andrew Rogers. I am a bass fisherman. Unfortunately, the walleye and muskie world, <laughs> they don't like bass anglers, but I'm a different type of angler. I'm a multi-species fisherman for the most part. Bass fishing is my passion. I got into the game. You know, the bass took over my life back, you know, about 20 years ago as our fisheries in the North Woods, they were expanding. Bass became a little bit more prevalent. Uh, a lot of fisheries established themselves as bass fisheries. Um, I grew up as a walleye and muskie angler, which a lot of people don't know about. So when I was a kid, walleyes, that's all I would fish for. But for some reason, I just outgrew that. The style of fishing just didn't really fit my personality and, you know, my, my adventurous nature. Uh, what I like about bass fishing in our region, I like to lake hop. I'll fish two, three, four different lakes per day chasing a hot bite. Uh, and what's nice about the Monaco region, we've got lakes in every which direction. So there's never a shortage of fishing spots or fishing locations. Um, as far as what I do within fishing right now, I operate Northwoods Bass Fishing Adventures, LLC. It's a uh, specialty bass fishing guide service. I operate from May through October, and I will guide my clients and customers for about two to three weeks per month, uh, depending on what the conditions are like. And I try to schedule all of my trips around certain peak periods, um, you know, I, I period by nature is like a window of opportunity when fishing might be better than certain other days of the month. So that's what I really like to look look at and how I try to schedule my uh, fishing schedule. So beyond uh, the fishing and the guide service, I'm also a website designer. That's a full-time job for me, and that keeps me busy throughout the year. And uh, I do work with a lot of clients in the fishing and outdoors industry. Some of the guys that I work with are fishing guides, uh, tackle companies, uh, sporting goods, uh, lodges and resorts. And uh, my website design business is ragusmedia.com. So hope that answers, uh, I guess, the first question. And uh, you guys know a little bit, bit about me by now. One of the things, Andrew, you didn't mention any tournaments mixed in there. And I mean, if you're a bass angler, it seems like that kind of ties together with uh, the bass tournaments. Is that something also that you uh, explored with? I do not. I, well, you know what? That's a funny question. I guess I'm one of the few bass anglers who's anti-tournament. And the only reason being I'm not a fan of live transport events. So, you know, I used to partake in bass tournaments, but then when I witnessed and participated firsthand in just the poor handling practices of fish, you know, you stuff them in a live well all day, you run them across the lake five miles away from where they were caught, and then by the end of the day, you know, those fish are just so beaten up and abused, and then they get released, and then there's no guarantee that they even survive. So after I witnessed and partake, partook in that, um, I just gave up on tournaments, and that's just not the, not the way I want to go about it, and that's just not the thing for me. So, yeah, I'm one of the few, few bass, hardcore bass nuts who just, I'm not a fan of tournaments, but if a lot of groups did live release and record events, I'm all for it. I love it, and they, they prioritize fish care, too, and a uh, high, high percentage of fish get released unharmed. Yeah, that's pretty. That's an interesting conversation there, Andrew. I think that's uh, 
that's valent. And, you know, in today's world, I know there is a ton of that where you can do it right online with your tournament. Right. So Yeah, definitely. So, Andrew, I remember watching a couple YouTube videos that you did. It's probably more than a couple when I was, uh, I don't know, I was probably a bit younger. But uh, uh-huh. you were quite a bit younger as well. And yeah, we all were. <laughs> yeah, but you don't have any kids, I don't believe. So you probably don't have any no, gray hairs yet. yet. Um, <laughs> so... Anyways, you kind of had this, how long ago, I guess, would I say, or should I say, do you have the passion to, like, how long ago did you know that you wanted to be in the fishing industry? And let's talk a little bit about your path, because it's been, you, you made it sound like it was a early college thing, so it's obviously yep. been, you know, 13, 14 years ago, and, right. you know, you, I'm, I'm assuming the, the path wasn't super smooth, so why don't you no, talk a little not. bit about that? Yeah, no, I I look forward to answering this question. I got a bunch of stories, but um, so I'm 34 years old right now, and back when I was in high school, we're going back about 16, 18 years ago in the early to mid 2000s. That's when I realized, you know, I really don't want to work in an office at a boring rat race desk job and work for anyone else who's just going to boss me around and determine what time of day I need to wake up and, you know, do all that stuff. So I realized early on, I never want to work for anyone else but myself or, you know, I've got a partner or whoever and whatever business venture we can create and do. So I realized early on, all right, I want to do things my way. So when I went to college, I uh, went to Loyola University, Chicago. I went for five years, and I stayed a bit extra because I like college so much, just like everyone else. But going to school, I was able to get a couple different degrees. Um, I studied communication and media studies and graphic design. And both of those fields like totally intertwine with what my passions are and with what I wanted to accomplish in life. So uh, during college, that's when I got really hard and heavy into the whole fishing life. And then also I started my website design business out of my dorm room when I was in college. So uh, those two fields that I got degrees in, I apply them into my real day, real day desk job of, you know, working with clients, building websites, doing marketing projects, uh, graphic design work, media, stuff like that. And what's awesome about my career path and my desk job and working for myself, a whole lot of other people don't have this luxury. I can fish whenever the hell I want, which is awesome. So it works out in that regard. Um, You know, if you're self-employed, you're able to take off whatever time you want. You can dedicate a lot into your other passions. And my number one passion in life is obviously fishing. So um, you know, during the boring winter months, I'm glued at the desk, working for myself, uh, keeping all the clients happy on all of our projects. And then uh, spring through fall, I'm playing on the water. Both career paths of mine uh, work well hand in hand. They both complement each other very well. You know, in college, I realized, you know, I want to make it into the fishing industry, but I, I knew it was not going to be easy. It's incredibly difficult to be a success just because the whole industry nowadays is so watered down you look on facebook and on instagram if you're if you're a fisherman about half of your friends list will have a name with the the word fishing attached to it so for instance andrew rog is fishing 
that might be, you might have a bunch of friends on Instagram that have that handle. So I realized then, all right, you know, being a, a media superstar or an all-star on Instagram or Facebook, that doesn't cut it. So the way I viewed it and the way I wanted to operate my guide business and to start it, I wanted to just be totally different, do something that no one else has ever tried attempting. And in my region of Violet and Oneida County, Wisconsin, up until I started in 2015, there had never been any type of a specialty fishing guide service that is dedicated to the pursuit of bass. So I, um, when I started, I identified my target market. I came up with my business plan. Um, I figured out what goals and what I wanted to accomplish. And I was able to start something that no one else had ever attempted. And it's been a success from, from the start. But to get there, I tried all sorts of different avenues uh, to, to just enter the fishing world. Um, I first started doing YouTube videos before it got even cool and popular. So, Jeff, we're going back about 10, 15 years ago. So late 2000s, when the GoPro camera was invented, I'd uh, document a lot of my outings and days on the water. The YouTubing, it was very tiring, and it required a lot of dedication. And the only reason I stopped doing it was I tended to attract a lot of spot hawks and leeches who just wanted to figure out where I was fishing and you know I was just getting bothered by all these people wanting to take advantage of me for you know all that information and all, all that documentation I was just creating for YouTube 10-15 years ago that's when I was doing YouTube I probably ended up with you know creating about a hundred plus different videos just documenting all my catches and trip dates and then I just outgrew it I got tired of it and I retired from YouTube world after 2014 um, it just took a lot of long time to edit you know late nights it was just not worth it anymore and back then I don't think YouTube was even monetizing anything so if you were like creating media for it you weren't going to get paid yet so after that expired um I got a bit more into writing for magazines. Um, I won't name some of the publications just because they don't pay well. So I kind of outgrew that. I wasn't really getting what I wanted out of magazine writing. And then after that, that's when I decided let's be a fishing guide. Hopefully that answers some of the questions. I do want to add, though, that um, you will fail more than succeed. Uh, if you're trying to find your niche and your role in fishing, um, there's a lot of opportunity out there for uh, wanting to make a career out of it, but it is not easy and it will take time. It will take sacrifices. It will take also a lot of patience. And the one big thing that a lot of people don't realize, everyone's trying to go about it on their own. And if you do it on your own, that's when you will fail. And what I've noticed and realized, there's a lot of people out there in the fishing world who will help you and they will want to work with you. And for that reason, it's super important to just find your network, find your inner circle of other anglers who might be already successful and they would take you under their wing. So one thing I'm very grateful for with getting there is I was able to befriend a lot of fishing guides, a lot of media personalities, and they took me under their wing. So I was mentored by guys like Rob Mansai, 
uh, we're good buddies. Brett Jolly, there's a couple others in the Northwoods region. Uh, Joe Booker, he helped me a lot with my early days of smallmouth fishing. And what's cool about that is like when I was 10, 12, you know, when I was a kid, I would email Joe like stuff, asking him questions about smallie fishing. I think he was one of our first uh, smallmouth pioneers in the Northwoods who, who would uh, broadcast and film, film shows on it. So, you know, guys like that who've been there and done that, they're the ones paying it forward. And then in today's world, guys like me, we have to pay it forward too, and we'll help out the next generation of anglers. I think one of the interesting things that you brought up in the beginning of that, plain and simple, I think a lot of times people forget. They want to be in the fishing industry, and I tell a lot of young people that want to start guiding and getting into this industry that it really starts with a good concrete job, and I know you found that avenue, and and it sounds like uh, you've got the same advice to the young angler that want to go out and do this. It really does. You know, it's interesting, like... Jeff and I doing this podcast for a couple of years now, I, I can think of two firemen. I mean, what a great concept. If you're a fireman, you get some of these days off or this week off or whatever, and their schedules kind of work with that. If you think about the school teacher, I mean, another avenue where you can uh, basically have your summer off so that you can be on the water. So Right, yeah, just like Kevin, yeah, like Kevin Cochran, you know, he'll teach and then boom, summertime, he's fishing, totally. Like I was going to say, just be creative about it, and you'll find your own avenue. I mean, that's oh, yeah. ultimately the real real part of that. Yeah, exactly. You know, so Brad, it's, it goes along with like what you said, though. It is super important. I, I get people that'll send me a message on Instagram. Hey, will you sponsor me? I really want to get into fishing. And I'm like, my, my advice to them is much like your advice. It's always about getting a job that allows you to have certain flexibility to allow you to get on the water and try to try to dabble in different avenues, much like Andrew did to, you know, to get to there, it'll, it'll allow you to get to other things. Meanwhile, paying your bills so that you can, you know, so you don't have to go all in on the fishing. Cause it's super rare that somebody goes all in and fishing and then they, you know, overnight, yep. they just become a success. It just doesn't happen. It does not totally. Building that platform of a clientele base that, you know, come year after year, it takes years to get to that. I want to add about that client base and then uh, just establishing your network. So it's what's funny. Like when I did all the YouTube like 10, 15 years ago, that's when I, I actually gained, started gaining my following. And, you know, back then I wasn't qualified to guide. I, I wasn't registered with data Wisconsin. I wasn't insured commercially. I didn't have my guide license, but I would always start getting these emails from all my video watchers and readers, you know, requesting that I took them out on the lake. That helped establish a lot of my client base right now. And 10, 15 years later, majority of them were my viewers from back then on YouTube. So yeah, like, um, basically what I want to say here is, it's super important to, to build your client base because they will come back year after year. And, uh, and then over the course of time into the future, that client base will continue to grow. So it's super important. And a lot of guys who start off, they, they have very few clients or none at all. In order to get there, you have to be publicly visible. You have to put yourself out there, get yourself out there, uh, be visible. So then People will take notice of you. They'll know of your existence. Having a good website helps because I'm a web designer, so I knew 
how to create a website that can be popular and be found online. So that's super important. And then just dabbling in other media ventures, whether it's writing articles that get published, the YouTube stuff helps. So too does the social media, but YouTube and social media, that's where the whole industry is just very watered down. And it's, it's difficult for other companies or potential clients to actually find you, but every bit helps though. Yeah, it's good that you that you brought that up because, you know, you were talking about how you get there. And one thing that everyone has the advantage of nowadays is there are all those other platforms. You know, when you were, you know, Brad, when you were starting out guiding way back in the day, there probably wasn't, it wasn't as easy to be discovered. Now, I understand where Andrew is coming. You know, it is pretty watered down. I kind of had a conversation uh, with somebody the other day about YouTube and I was like, there used to only be, it seemed like maybe like, I don't know, two or three channels that were really focused on muskies on YouTube. And now it's like everybody Everyone. has a GoPro on in YouTube. And I'm like, man, it's really difficult to stand out in that crowd. And at some point I'm like, isn't it, isn't some of it just all white noise with just too much information on YouTube now about muskies? Whereas before it was, you know, completely different. And so you need, just need to find a way to stand out above, above all that. And like you said, but, you know, you were talking about your YouTube days and how it was a lot of work. The one thing is, is that you didn't get paid for any of that work. So, like, everybody no. right now that wants to get into it, it seems like they're looking for something immediately that's going to help pay them. Whereas, like again, I'll go back to it. I don't know many guys that just jumped in both feet and, they were, you know, they were swimming Im- immediately. They all had to just yeah. keep grinding and chipping away. Right. I think some of that, too, Jeff, is, you know, the YouTube thing enables people to kind of gain an appreciation for the personality of the person that's on there, you know, and and it sounds like Andrew is one of those guys. I mean, people want to fish with him, and, and it's probably based off of some of that. And I think when your personality shows, that's where you start gaining some clients as well. You know, that every not every person that's going to hire you is going to be a perfect fit for the two of you. But, uh, nope. and you can get through those days. Don't get me wrong. But my point is, is, Honestly, like my clientele base over the years, they have all become really good friends. It's amazing how that works. I've said it before, you you get to a point where you almost hate taking money from them because uh, it is a friendship in the end. It's a tough world in the world of guiding, that's for sure. And, yeah, you, um, nailed it. you nailed it, Brad. Yeah, like um, I'd, I'd probably put it about, I'd, I'd say about half of my clientele for the bass fishing, they become great buddies. And what I like about it, like, I have no problem exchanging info with them. You know, we reciprocate off of one another. Like, on days that I can't fish and if they're on the water, they'll always be nice to to at least tell me what's going on, uh, you know, share their results with me. And, you know, I I love that. And then oftentimes what I do, you know, if I'm not scheduled to take anyone fishing on a certain day and say say one of those clients whom I really like and we drink beers with often, if they're available, I'll give them a buddy day too, which is super cool. And I like doing that often. Um, so yeah, um, a lot of, a lot of the clients, you know, you're knowledgeable, you've got a personality, they'll keep hiring you. And a lot of times they become really great friends and that's, I feel that right now. I think on the ugly side of all of this, you know, and it's funny, a lot of these younger guys, when you start looking at the dollars that you're going to produce from doing a guide trip, um, somebody breaks a rod that day and <laughs> all of a sudden you're, you're yeah. not making money that day. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. And then another thing that a whole lot of people don't realize there's a ton of expenses in fishing. <laughs> like 
this is not a glamorous job. You know, insurance payments, gas fill-ups every two, three days for truck and boat. You know, if gear breaks or say you're losing vapes left and right, you know, you got to make a bunch of orders midweek. <laughs> you're losing money more, more than making sometimes. So a lot of people don't realize that. <laughs> and that is funny, though, too. When I got into it five, six years ago, I kind of knew what to expect. But, you know, after like that year one, you're filing your taxes and, you know, <laughs> you look at your profit and losses like, holy crap. <laughs> That's when it often into full focus right there. Yeah, I know a bunch of guys that, you know, they make it in the sport and they're, you know, they do okay, but I don't know very many guys that are getting rich in the sport of fishing. I'm sure there no. are, I'm sure there are some, especially on the musky side. I think it's even tougher yet. Yeah. Yeah. I want to <laughs> add fishing is definitely not a lucrative business or a sport, but if you love it so much and if it's, one of your few passions in life and if you can make a job or a career out of it, it it's so sad you get so much satisfaction out of it and you're you're a happier person for following your dreams and pursuing it rather than not doing it at all so i love it you know i'm not going to get rich off of it but that's kind of what the having a desk job is for in my opinion that's that that one pays the bills ultimately and buys out but fishing you know, it's awesome. You know, the, the true deal about this, if you're a really good guide and you're solid, it's truly got to be your passion. And and guiding every day, if if your passion is, oh, I like going fishing, but when it becomes work, because I don't care what it is you do in this world, you do it long enough and it becomes a job, right? So yeah. it, it's, it's a challenge and that's for sure. And I think uh, a lot of people neglect to think about that. You, you got to be a special person. That's for sure. Right. So, Andrew, you know, the reason we brought you on is because you are a multi-species angler. We don't talk to a lot of them. We mostly stick to the musky guys. But I've seen you have some success. I shouldn't say some. You've had enough success in both areas. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you know, I guess what makes you a good ba a bass fisherman and what makes you a good musky fisherman or the correlation between, you know, bass locations and musky locations and I guess how you how you go about breaking it down each day? Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a complex question. So I guess part one, what makes me a good musky angler and a good bass angler, I guess let's start there. So to be good at both, what I've learned is you need a lot of patience and you need to identify fisheries that will support the biggest specimens of both species. Because in, in the North Country, not every lake is capable of rearing a 20-inch smallmouth or a 50-inch muskie. You know, those are those are unicorn fish, a 50-inch muskie and a smallie that's, you know, seven pounds or more. Those are very rare. So what I've been able to do over the years, I have a lot of experience on just diverse types of lakes and waters all throughout Vilas and Oneida County. So just being able to identify where the big fish live. That's what, what like my target is being on those lakes. And then to catch fish of that type of a caliber, you're not going to catch them every day. And it might only happen once or twice per year. A lot of patience, a lot of effort, a lot of dedication, a lot of stubbornness. You're going to need, need to have some stubbornness to just keep going back to those same places. If you know that they live there. The other part of the question would be, you know, the correlation between, 
you know, bass and muskie as far as like how you pattern them or how you, how you locate them, because, you know, obviously you're able to do both. And so, you know, are, yeah. are they in similar areas? Are you fishing, you know, structures that you normally would bass fish? Are you finding muskies there as well? Or are we completely different as far as locations? Yeah, so between bass and muskies, I'm targeting totally different locations. I might visit the same lake if there's a population of both of them in that lake. But as far as locations are concerned, I'm doing totally different stuff. So, for instance, smallmouth, I tend to fish a lot of the uh, thousand-acre-plus big bodies of water where there might be a lot of depth, a lot of mid-lake structure. A lot of contour, great bottom composition, whether it's rock, boulder, wood, crib, stuff like that. Whereas with muskies, I tend to focus more on river systems and the flowages and smaller to mid-sized lakes. I just feel that smaller to mid-sized bodies of water, they're just more easier for me to locate and pattern and figure out where muskies might be holding and roaming on those waterways. Totally different lake types and waterways for both species i guess to add to that when it comes to fishing smallies the way i go about it on guide trips and then muskies when i'm either on leisure trips or buddy trips or by myself the way i fish i just want to focus and target on the biggest fish that lives in that lake or in that river so i've gotten pretty good at trying to weed out all the dinks you know, if I'm on a trophy hog hunt for smallmouth, I'll go to the lake that has a high population of 20 inches, and I'm going to fish baits that are historically good at catching fish that could hit six or seven pounds. It's not going to happen often, but you put in the time, and it'll it'll ha- it'll happen eventually. And then same deal goes for muskies. Um, I like to fish the rivers a lot. I do a lot of float trips, smaller lakes. I'll, I'll try to weed out the smaller fish and the action-sized fish in favor of mid mid upper 40s. And that's typically the goal in mind when I'm, when I'm on those waterways. Patterning and finding big fish, it's not easy. You have to learn where the big fish live, where they'll winter at, where they'll spawn at, where they will set up camp at during the summer months. Uh, what's unique about targeting big smallmouth and big muskies, that single specimen will revisit the same spot year after year unless it gets exploited or if that fish feels like it's being overpressured. And then they'll just vacate that area and they'll move elsewhere where they'll seek their protection from other anglers or from, you know, any other type of, uh, any type of a pressure factor. But Oftentimes, some of the biggest smallmouth that I've caught, they've been repeat touches, and they've happened on uh, the same spots or the same area of the lake, which is pretty cool. And then uh, same goes for muskies. Um, you know, there's a, I have a, I've had a couple stretches, um, you know, a couple consecutive seasons where I've contacted the same big muskie, utilizing either the same spot on the lake or the same region of the lake. And I've contacted them, but haven't been too successful in catching that fish just because it knows it's being targeted and it knows it knows of my presence too. But, um, you know, to target big fish like that, you just have to find and figure out what spots they use, where they'll be at, and then you'll just have to make a calculated decision of when to go in for them and when to try catching them too. 
So for that reason, moon phase, feeding windows, changes in weather, things like that will be a huge help and hopefully triggering a bite then for those big special fish. So, Andrew, one of the things that I guess I'm wondering in the back of my head, when did this passion of muskies kind of come into the picture? So, um, bass took over first, and then I'd say muskies came second. Uh, I'd say back in the mid-2000s when the muskie fishing industry kind of took its jump start and grew in popularity then, I'd say that's when it started. So, mid-2000s, um, that's kind of when I got the muskie bug. I failed more than succeeded at muskies, like the first five-plus years of starting. And then over time, I just got better and better. And now I, I think I succeed more than fail, which is a good thing. And that should be everyone's goal. <laughs> I think that would be, you know, I'd say about 15 years ago, that's when the muskie bugs caught me. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. You know, I mean, as a, a youth, I loved bass fishing. And uh, obviously, you, you like pike fishing. And then you kind of seem to, like, start moving into more of a predator type role with yep. the, you know the pike and then the walleyes yep. and then i don't know it's kind of a it's a weird circle how this kind of all goes about yeah you know, you know, it is yeah it is weird and like you say like targeting trophy bass it's a challenge in itself but i appreciate the challenge of pursuing muskies even more and what's totally funny between guiding and the leisure muskie fishing that i do i find muskie fishing to be way more relaxing you know, I'm not I'm not guiding anyone for them. I'm fishing for myself, having fun. And the thing was about muskie fishing is, you know, I'm I'm not hosting any other anglers really ever. So I kind of get my peace and serenity in the boat, casting endlessly, trying to contact a couple fish. So I find muskie fishing more relaxing and peaceful than bass fishing. I don't know what it is about it, but you know, that's just the way I feel. Well, I think some of that relaxation side of that, Andrew, is probably because um, it, it's something new for you to do. You know what I mean? You're yeah. probably beating up the bass so hard and, and just making that change kind of becomes part of that tone as well. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, there's definitely less stress for me and muskies than bass. So that's interesting to think about. I, I My wheels are spinning there a little bit because, uh, <laughs> you know, when you're guiding muskies every day, it's a challenging deal. Yeah, well, with the muskies, like, if you guide for them, you're, the pressure's on you to produce fish for your customers. You know, big or small, you want to catch fish every day. Now, I feel the same way with bass. You know, I get guys who want to want to target 20-inch smallmouth with me every day of the week. And, you know, not every day of the week is going to produce results. Uh, big smallmouth, for instance, they enjoy nice, steady weather. You need sunshine. You need the perfect conditions for good bites. You know, I feel all the musky guys with all the pressures that they get. Like, if you're into bass guiding and you've got clients who want big fish or nothing, then, you know, I get that same pressure. So I know I know how it feels. Yeah, and I think it's called fishing for a reason. It's not called catching. So, I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the demands of that and the pressure that we put on ourselves as guides is, uh, it's just part of the equation, right? You want yep. everybody to be successful. So, yeah. It's interesting. You know, I was talking to a younger guy this, this past weekend, actually, that shared the boat with us, and, and he has some aspiration to be a, a guide. And, you know, I, I told him straight out, one of the first things that I do when I have a client come in my boat is I will ask them straight out, why did you hire me? 
And and what I'm looking at, I mean, some of these guys understand that question. Some are like, where are you going with this, Brad? And what it really is truly about is I want to know what their expectations are of the day. The only way I can meet their mark is if I know what their expectations are. And that might mean that they want spots. They might want to just catch a fish, their first fish, or they might be targeting, you know, they want a 50 incher and that's what we're going to do. We're going to fish differently based upon that question and that answer. Yeah, I do the same. Every every time I get an inquiry, either by email or someone calls me requesting a trip, you know, that's that's actually the first question I ask everyone. Like, what's your expectation? Do you want numbers or do you want to target like a unicorn fish? Because that right there will determine how we're going to fish that day or where we will go. Assuming that the conditions that day are perfect for their expectations and meeting them. So, yeah, that's super important to ask. I actually have a good tip for for uh, between muskies and bass. So you know how in today's world, a lot of anglers who pursue both species, they get infatuated with a specific lure, and then they live and die by it every single day of the week. Like my philosophy with bait selection and lures for you know both pursuits, you got to treat a lure as like a tool that'll get the job done. You know, and that's. I've noticed that a lot of anglers that I host or people that I see out there fishing, you know, they're not treating these lures and say, you know, a showgirl or, or a cowgirl, you know, they live and die by it, which is great. But, you know, you got to treat a bait as a tool that'll get the job done. You, you will want to fish that based on how the fish is reacting to it and, you know, what their moods are. So not a whole, not enough people are have that, have that same type of a philosophy philosophy or mentality i feel when it comes to both bass and muskies well then on the back side of that andrew um what is the time frame that you're going to give a certain bait that opportunity oh man that's a good question i guess let's start here so when i'm fishing for bass guiding out of the back end of the boat i keep about 10 rods and reels rigged and ready but my my goal by the time you know, our trip day is about half complete. I want the deck space in my boat pretty freaking clean. And I want more than half of those rods to get back into the rod locker. And what this does, I like to fish and identify patterns based on the process of elimination. So if I got 10 rods rigged up, they're all going to have different baits and presentations that I can try and tinker around with just to look for a quick bite. Uh, but each, each offering that I have rigged up, uh, when it comes to bass and muskies, I'll give it about 10-15 minutes of time. Uh, with muskies, for instance, I tend to keep about three or four rods and reels rigged and ready with different stuff, whether it's a top water. One will have a top water, one will have a glide bait, another maybe a crankbait or plastic, and then another with a bucktail. So with muskies, I, I feel you need to you need to give each bait, you know, if you're by yourself or with a partner, you want to give it a bit more time on each spot and location that you're trying to work. But when it comes to bass, you know, I could give each lure about five minutes of my time. If I don't get any response quickly, if I'm on a spot with fish, I'll put that rod away. I'm not going to use it anymore. Um, so just, just, you know, treating a bait as a tool uh, based on the reaction and the moods of the fish, uh, that's the way I like to treat and go about my business. So five to 10 minutes at a time. 
if that lure is not working, if it's not getting the interest to fish, I'm not getting any feedback, down it goes. Same deal with muskies. So, for instance, if I'm fishing with a partner, uh, whether I'm in the front of the boat or, with the, or if the partner's in front of the boat and I'm in the back, I'll want the guy up front throwing the search bait. He's going to fish fast. He's going to cover water. And then if I'm in the back, I'm going to do all the cleanup work. I'm going to fish slower. Uh, that's the philosophy I like to employ, just so we fish and sink, and you can cover and fish more efficiently. And, uh, you know, guys, will, I always want guys to throw different stuff, too, just to figure out what the fish want, and that is definitely helpful, too. It's kind of different, you know, totally different from, from my bass philosophies, too. Hope that kind of answers that question. Yeah, it does, Andrew. I, I... My next question is this. Are, I'm assuming you're fishing out of a bass boat when you're on your lakes versus the rivers. And, um, yep. you know, as a musky guide, obviously I guide out of the back of the boat. And the reason I do that yep. is for my clients to have that front deck right. first crack at the fish. Um, yep, absolutely. And how are you managing that in a bass boat platform? Yeah, so actually my rig is a Ranger 681 DS. So, you know, I, I actually think it's the most perfect musky boat ever invented. So I fished my hull's a 1996 model. I think it's one of the best hulls that Ranger ever built. Those mid-90s boats are just outstanding and awesome compared to some of today's models. But the way I operate on all my bass trips, that Ranger's my guide boat for all the lakes and, you know, any trip day. The way I fish. Two anglers will take the front deck, and then I get the rear deck. I do all my navigating from the back end of the boat. Like you said, Brad, you want the guys up front to get first crack at the fish. And kind of like the last question, whenever there's three guys in my boat, we want to fish and sink. We want to complement each other. We want to pattern those fish quickly and fish efficiently. So the guy up front, I always want him casting parallel to shore or casting straight forward just so we can cover the area well. The guy in the middle, he's free to cast in any which direction he can get to. And then me in the back, I'm fishing the slow baits. I'm cleaning up all their missed fish. I'm doing all the dirty work, and I'm the one who's in back tinkering looking for a bite. So that's kind of the way we operate on the, on the guide trips. I, I continue to be amazed at the amount of guides out there and charter captains who will fish out of the front of the boat. They'll fan cast or they'll take the trolling motor and they'll navigate and fish from the bow of the boat, leaving the guys in the back or to fish from wherever. And I just, I just, I'm just, I'm totally amazed that that stuff flies and people will hire for that type of a customer service type of a deal. So just like you said, any trip day is about the customer. It's not about you. And when it gets to the point of guiding, you're no longer fishing for yourself. You're fishing for the two guys that you're hosting and that's the way we go about with the bass stuff and then some of some of my a lot of guys know that i fish out of multiple boats so the ranger is my guide boat my two other boats i actually treat them as my full-time musky boats so i've got a retro uh lund tri-hull it's about 40 years old 16 and a half footer the lund guide special 315 and that boat is pretty kick-ass i use it as my northwoods lake hopper it's rigged and ready for all my musky stuff i use it on the lakes and rivers especially the rivers that don't have boat breaking boulders on them and then i've got a 14 foot uh john boat 
but I have ducked out with two big casting ducks, and I use that on all my float trips on, you know, difficult access waters and river systems too. But that's the setup for me. You know, I have each boat configured in the ways I want to fish, and uh, I'm just applying my my fishing system to them. So that's how we operate. I'm assuming that you have multiple rods laying on the deck and, you know, you're probably switching baits more often than say your average muskie angler and yep. maybe even potentially seeing where those fish are, depending on the electronics that you're using. And yes, I mean, I've been around the bass fishing side and I, I know how some of that kind of works. And I think a lot of times bass anglers definitely take advantage of more tools than muskie anglers do in a given day, if that makes sense. Yep, I would agree. Yeah, I would agree. Like uh, a lot of bass anglers, like, you know, the good anglers, the guys who are just good, they know how to use their boats. We utilize our electronics and technology in a huge amount. You know, you want to learn how to operate your screens, whether it's a Humminbird or Lowrance or Garmin. You want to use that piece of equipment that's full of capability. You want to maximize all of its abilities in order to find fish. Um, I've, I've learned to do that with my low ranches when it comes to locating, uh, smallies, I can see them on side imaging. The same deal is applied to my muskie fishing too. Uh, during the fall months when I'm running suckers and this, this, I learned from Rob Mantai's mentorship with me and just being buddies with him, uh, getting all the advice I can get from, uh, live bait specialists like him, you know, always, you always want to fish out of the back end of the boat and run your suckers, like at least your swimmer on the side of the boat, underneath it, underneath the transducer too. So then you'll be able to see when a fish might be flashing in towards that sucker, when you might be getting follows. That is super important. And that's something that a lot of live bait fishermen aren't applying these days. Or at least they haven't learned how to do that yet. When you're position fishing, structure fishing for those late fall muskies, uh, you always want to run your sucker rigs, at least within visibility of the transducer. Otherwise, if you're not doing that, you're going to miss fish. I guess you're going to, you know, blindly fish without ever knowing that you contacted a fish that was interested in that sucker. So that's, that's just huge that a lot of people aren't doing. And what's funny about that, people are buying boats left and right like crazy, fully rigged boats. And when it comes to their outings or trip days a lot of people still don't know how to operate their boat they don't know how to how to utilize the electronics or any of the fancy high-end equipment that they have so for me that's kind of humorous i tend to laugh a lot of people like that but it is super important to utilize your electronics um because without it you're not succeeding and you're not going to catch as many fish otherwise without it well, I think the one thing to to go on the point of the, you know, people learning the electronics, I think everybody's, they have limited amount of time to fish. So they're always in a big hurry to make as many casts as they can. And yep. they don't spend the appropriate time to learn all the technology. And I think that's, that's obviously, as you pointed out, it's a mistake. And you have, you have made the investment in, you know, the financial investment in your electronics. Now it's time to make the time commitment yeah. to learn everything that they can do. And then, yeah, that's, that's a good point. And, like, recently, a number of my bass customers, they've actually called on me and utilized me to, like, come over to their homes, their garages, just to dial in, you know, their low ranches. I run low ranches, uh, HDS Lives in my boat. And 
I, what I like about the Lowrance units, the interface is awesome. Very user-friendly. I know all the settings. I know how to operate them, get the most out of my units. And some of my best customers, they've got the same units, but they don't know how to configure them. They don't know the setup. So what I've done with some of my best customers, you know, it's convenient for me. And if I like them too, obviously, and if we're buddies, we got to be tight. So what I've done is I visited with them. I've dialed in their electronics. I've helped them. I've set up their units for them. And in turn, I've helped them make become better anglers just so they can utilize their electronics too. So a lot of people don't have the time or the technological know-how to operate them. So I try to help as often as I can. You know, Brad, that kind of reminds me of like Matt Seifert. He has guide clients that will literally book him just to learn their electronics. And I think that's, you know, it sounds like Andrew, that'd probably be something that you, that you'd be up to if people wanted to book you just to learn how to run electronics, you'd probably be up for that too. Yeah, no, that, that definitely falls into line with any bass trips. Um, you know, like even when, when we're idling or driving from spot to spot, my guys, customers, they're always in the back end of the boat with me while we're driving and going on plane to the next area. They're looking at my screens just like I am. And oftentimes they always question me, you know, what's this? They want to learn how to interpret side imaging. They want to know what setting is for what. So, yeah, it, it totally falls into line with, you know, with the job description. You know, not only are we fishing on any guide trip day, but if my clients have Lorances also, they're going to learn also how to operate their units just by observing what I'm doing, how I'm interpreting the screen, and how I use it to our advantage for the day too. So it all it all uh, it all comes hand hand to hand right there. So Andrew, last fall, kind of you know, up in northern Wisconsin, you know, we won't say big fish are hard to find, but you know upper upper 40s fish are hard to find and you happen to land into two of them you want to talk a little bit about uh talk fishing stories a little bit about a couple of big fish you caught last fall yeah that's that's a good story and um i guess um very uh interesting how how they both came about but um first fish i caught actually let's 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 backtrack about 10 years prior to the date so the date when i caught the absolute baddest biggest monster fish was september the 29th of 2020 so that date to me september 29th it's very historic to me on this day exactly 10 years ago we had like the same conditions so backtracking 10 years prior so september 29th 2010 i caught my biggest ever muskie to date it was a 51 incher in the monopoly area uh, conditions that day gloomy overcast I was battling the flu that day. I could barely lift that first fish out of the water. That's how weak I was. And I caught that one on a, on a dead sucker at around 1.30 p.m. that afternoon. So last year, on September the 29th, I had a day off. I woke up that morning observing. I've got the same conditions as that fish that I caught exactly 10 years ago to this day. I'm going to go out and fish memories on my day off. That's what I did. I don't recommend anyone ever fish memories because you'll be more disappointed than pleased in the outcome of that trip day. But, you know, I wanted a challenge of just going out to that same lake that I was at 10 years ago, doing some of the same stuff and hopefully catch another monster. Just conditions were right. I believe it was the full moon that day too. And uh, everything just lined up perfectly. So 
I went back to that same lake where I caught the 51 at 10 years ago on September the 29th. Two hours into my outing, I was throwing a fat bastard, shallow weed line. Fish was up in shallow sand, and then it just came out. I uh, made a cast. Fish hit about 30 feet away from the boat. Saw her lunge up. Big fish. Took down my top water, and it was the fastest 5 to 10 seconds of my life right there. Um, I didn't think the fish was that big, but I got her in the net quickly, and I realized right then, oh, wow, I think this one's pushing 50. Um, I could barely get her out of the bag. She was so heavy. She measured 49 and three quarters. Um, I'm one of the lucky ones who came so, so close to a 50, but had to be a couple centimeters short, but that's okay. Uh, after some documentation and some scrutiny from other anglers, I let her go. She swam off fine. And what's very unique about this, 10 years on the exact date, I go out to fish some memories, same conditions, same lake. Uh, the biggest muskie I've ever caught came out of that lake lengthwise. And then on this exact date, one of the heaviest absolute porter muskies I think I'm ever going to catch, I caught it on this date. 10 years apart, same lake. Tell me that doesn't happen often. I don't think it does. It's just a rarity, I think. Very unique catch right there. One lake producing two, 150 and one near 50 for me. Um, and then, so that was the first 49-ish that I caught uh, last fall. And then about four weeks later, on October the 24th, uh, at this point in the year, it got really cold. Uh, we already started having snow. Some of our ponds were already freezing up. Um, it was very cold, and we had that early fall winter deal going on already in northern Wisconsin. And at this point in the year, I'm all done with my bass trip. I put all my bass gear away in that last week of my fishing season. I just putted around in my old retro lund, uh, trying not to freeze, fishing muskies only. On a lake that I like to fish quite often, and what I was doing that day, I was just lazy fishing from the back end of the boat. I deployed two sucker rigs, one, uh, I run one uh, swimmer below the boat so I can see it on my lower answers, see it swim, and then any other fish that I might run into contact in. Usually with that swimmer, I'll see the fish as they are under the boat or being enticed by the sucker, and I'll also see strikes too when they happen. And then the other sucker I run is uh, running about 40 to 50 feet behind the boat on a slip bobber rig. Uh, kind of, I, I treat that kind of as like a, my planer board rig in a way. On that day, fishing was very slow. It was cold. I was miserable. I didn't even make a single cast with any artificial lure. So I was just running through deep holes, deep rocks, rims. Last spot of the day, it's almost 5 p.m. I'm freezing to death. I wanted to call it a day, but I just needed to get to one more spot. Uh, it was a boulder flat, deeper rock, 15 to 25 foot area. I had the, the uh, swimmer out under the boat. I'm tinkering around in the boat. I actually had to use the bathroom. And while I'm going into the bathroom over the side of the boat, my swimmer rod goes off. I thought, no way. Like I had to either be, be snagged or something because this just this can't happen. So I'm taking a leak over the side of the boat, sucker rod goes off. I'm doing my business, and at the same time, I set the hook, you know, not caring what's going on. And sure enough, 
I brought in a 49 incher while taking a pee over the side of the boat. So, <laughs> so pretty fluke catch, but I know I was on the right spot because I've caught fish off this spot in the past by both casting and by suckers in late fall. So, um, you know, I, I wasn't expecting a, another 49 incher to come in this manner, but this one was definitely a fluke catch versus the, the, the 49 that I caught four weeks before that. So, um, yeah, very rarely does, unless, you know, I know guy, I know a lot of guides and hardcore muskie anglers who will target big fish only in Vilas County, but very rarely do any of us ever catch two near 50-inch caliber fish all within one month. It just rarely happens. Big fish like that are far more elusive. They're unicorn-like. Um, they just aren't out there like they used to be in the past. So it's just very rare for anyone to catch two big fish like that locally, too, in the Minocqua region. Like, both of these lakes that I caught, where they're located, you know, 10 minutes apart from each other, too. Very unique in that regard, too. So, you know, big fish, not every lake can support them, but they are present in each lake that contains a population of big females like that. I don't. I don't think I'll ever catch two two near fifties like that. You know, so close apart. This isn't our, our Northwood, Northern Wisconsin lakes. They're nothing like Canadian waters. They're nothing like the Great Lakes. Nowhere close to Minnesota quality fish. A big Northern Wisconsin fish, four footer. You know, that's top end in a lot of lakes too. You know, that's that's my story on those two. And right now, I'm as I'm in my office at home, I'm looking at the framed pictures of both of those fish, which is pretty cool. So that's my satisfaction right there while I'm talking to you guys. I'm looking at the framed pictures of both of those fish right now. Big fish definitely get you going. And I think that's what keeps a lot of us anglers in the game. You know, you just yep. having the drive to actually go out there, get a new personal best or, or just being able to contact that type of fish. That's what drives right. all of us anglers. Right. Yeah. I want to add to that, Brad, and then to my story even like, so you asked, when did I start muskie fishing? That was about 15 years ago. So like for the first five to 10 years of my muskie fishing pursuit, I would always focus on numbers and action. But nowadays with bass guiding taking up five to six days per week out of my time, I have very limited free time and leisure time to leisure fish. So anytime I'm after muskies now, I'm not prioritizing action or numbers. When I get that rare opportunity once or twice a week to go muskie fishing, I got to go when I'm available for it. And my priorities have changed. So nowadays, you know, I'm, I don't care about catching because to me, it's not what it's about anymore. It's not about catching the most fish. You just want to catch quality and make that time worth it. You know, you don't have as much, I don't have as much muskie time as I like to have. So, with that limited availability that I've got nowadays, you know, I'm, I'm happy catching one or two fish per year if it's going to be a four-footer. Numbers in most inches, that just doesn't matter to me anymore. So that's kind of my philosophy nowadays. Well, again, Andrew, it's about expectations, and you know what your expectations are, so you're matching that up with your fishing. So I think you're spot on. Thanks. I do like the fact that he brought up about fishing memories, Brad. That's one thing that I know. I, whenever somebody talks yeah. about fishing memories, uh, Carrie's voice comes in my head because she talks about it whenever she's on a <laughs> podcast. Yeah, so many guys are guilty of fishing memories. Like, I've got a lot of buddies who fish muskies, and 
you know, they tell me where they're going, you know, what fishery they're at. And they tell me they're only going to fish certain lakes because five or 10 years ago, they might've caught like a four footer. And, you know, the only reason they're going back there is just to fish memories. So a lot of us are very guilty of that. And like I said, more times than often, it's going to be a failure, (laughs) you know, that's why I won't do it. But (laughs) You know, I had that. I gave myself that unique challenge on September the 29th. It's just a very historic day to me. For, you know, catching two, two of the biggest fish of my life on September 29th, on that specific day, and that just that's, that never happened. Definitely some cool stories. I know, Brad. Apparently, if it's overcast on September 29th this year, we should probably figure out which lake we need to go to. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm doing. And you know, to tell you that, in my date book. I actually crossed off September 29th. I'm not going to host any bass trips. So if I got the right conditions, I'm going to go fish some memories. <laughs> <laughs> well, it worked before, right? Yep. So, Andrew, we want to thank you for taking some time out of your schedule today to talk fishing with us. We always like to talk to, you know, pa- passionate anglers of any type. And just so happens today we get a little bit of bass talk and a little musky talk, which is a nice change of pace for us. But uh, for people that are looking to get in touch with you, they either want to know more about guide trips or potentially if they need a website built, how do they go about doing that? Yeah, so I can be visited online. Uh, First things first, my uh, fishing guide service is Northwoods Bass Fishing Adventures. Website link is northwoodsbass.com. Or if you want to go about it and Google uh, Wisconsin Bass Fishing, I'm one of the top listings on there that you'll find, but northwoodsbass.com. My website is actually pretty unique. So for guys who either don't want to hire me or who can't afford the full day rate, what I like to do is I just like to give people some information that they can't get anywhere else. And my website has a lot of info, a lot of articles I write. I publish once per month. A um, lot of information that you can't find anywhere else out there on the internet. So northwoodsbass.com. And then uh, with the website design business, uh, the website link is ragusmedia.com. So my last name with the word media attached. Website design projects keep me busy year round. Worked with a lot of uh, outdoors related clients and customers, guide services, everyone. So if anyone out there listening needs a website or is, in, is considering one, definitely reach me. And I can be also reached by phone or email. And uh, look forward to any inquiries. Well, we just want to thank Andrew again for coming out and talking fishing with us. We always want to thank our listeners for taking some time out of their schedule to tune us in every single week. If you're looking for new podcasts, typically 5 o'clock a.m. on a Wednesday, you can find them wherever you found this podcast. If you haven't done so already and you want to hit the subscribe button, that would be cool. That way you don't miss an episode. And so we just want to thank everybody again for listening. Thanks again to Andrew for coming out, and we'll catch everybody again next Wednesday.